0: Leaving a Legacy is brought to you by com, and can be found on the Top Deck app every Friday. You can support the show directly at Patreon.com slash Leaving a Legacy.
1: Magic is powerful.
0: Welcome to another episode of Leaving a Legacy. My name is Patrick. I'm your legacy newbie. With me this week, as always Mr. Jerry <laughs> me. What's up, Jerry?
2: Not much, Pat. Not much. I don't know. You might have uh, surpassed newbie status this episode, Pat, because I don't. Know, for the first time, I don't know since Hell froze over, uh, you played some paper magic and I did not. <laughs> yeah. So I am
0: on a uh, honestly the open really pushed me like like ignited a spark in me. And uh, I've been trying to get out to the weeklies, uh, especially the ones up in, in Bellingham because they're just so close. It makes it a lot easier for me to get over there. It's only like 15 minutes away. So I had headed up to uh, to ELD. On, I went, ended up going Wednesday because we took a long weekend up to Vermont this past weekend. So I wasn't around Friday. But, yeah, I went up to play their Wednesday uh, night uh, legacy tournament. It was a lot of fun. I, I only played two rounds because I was the... Uh, odd man out in round three where I had a buy, but <laughs> it, it was cool because of course I was the least, the low, like the lowest ranked player. So I got the, uh, the free win around three, but I just, I dropped after I saw I had a buy, but um, I, I was, it's wild, man. So like I've been <laughs> playing know, you... Michael Munchbox, uh, basically almost his entire 75 with a, a slightly adjusted sideboard, not nothing crazy. Um, Basically his 75 for these last two weeks that I played magic, the, uh, the Eld open. And then when I went again this past week and it's definitely tuned for like what I would call like a competitive like uh <clears throat> more like what I'd see at Etsy let's let's call it that let's let's put it that way like um especially like you Wouldn't know
2: see it like star city Games. exactly like, like yeah like it's, I mean he's it's... running a
0: main deck blast effect like he's got three I think I have four blast effects in the sideboard and one in the main <laughs> and there has not been a, I think this I'm trying to think I've played five rounds of legacy against or at at ELD between these two between the open. And then this, this like, why night it FNM or I guess WNM, but, um, and I played against zero blue decks. So like, you know how bad it feels to draw a blast effect in your opener (laughs) or at any time when you're playing a non blue deck, it feels terrible. Um, so I have to tweak the main a little bit and, uh, and probably the sideboard too, because I definitely don't need five blast effects in the 75. Um, but that being said, I played, uh, I'm not going to go too deep into it because I felt like, I mean, the games were fun and like somewhat interactive, but I played against uh, goblins and then elves. And so I was like, all right, these is these are not the <laughs> decks that I expect to see. And like last week was like, you know, uh, I played against, I'm trying to think what it was. Like uh, I played, uh, you know, uh, Rodney's uh, dragon deck and like, and, and I played two other decks. I can't recall what they were, but um, just like kind of. Decks that aren't like you know, wouldn't be like the top five decks in the format, you know what I mean? Which is like what happens, right, when you're playing like in a local scene. So I just have to adjust that seventy-five for the local scene, and I'm sure, I'm sure I'll get my my legs back under me. Um, <laughs> but I think I, I think I'm officially one in four right now in my last five five games, and, and like so, you know, but. But it's all good because honestly i've been having a ton of fun playing so it, um it's,
2: it's funny back because you were sending to the group chat as you were playing and you're just like man why do i have all these red blast effects Just kill, just kill me now yeah right uh, <laughs> and wilson from the brainstorm show who's in the group chat just goes like oh easy easy fix just add painter
0: servant to your right list. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly you can't argue yeah. with
2: that Can't no he's not that. wrong
0: definitely not wrong um but unfortunately <laughs> that is that is not the way the way i want to build my blue red delver deck I, I, I think i'll keep the painter servants out for now but i will keep that that <laughs> that advice in mind but um uh, but no as always like eric runs a great shop down there it's been really nice to, to play i'm hoping to get up to uh to etsy for uh, for an FM soon um it just it's like i said it's just tough especially now like i got football season like i have football orientation with the boys tomorrow night so um summer's ba- like my summer vacation is basically over starting next week cuz i go back to coaching and all that stuff so but uh, I'll be able to find time to, to squeeze in some games here and there. But uh but how about you? You didn't play any paper legacy, right? No,
2: I was all excited to uh go play some paper legacy with our guest tonight, uh, down at that but uh, uh wait, what? <laughs> uh gaming, etc. Sorry, gaming Etsy, not that <laughs> different stores, too many stores floating around. But I was also to go, but then uh my girlfriend had to drop off some work keys at a sketchy part of town, so she asked me to go with
0: her and you know, I figured uh, probably going through would be better than uh, you know
2: <laughs> slinging slinging some cardboard.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, I I just have to assume you were uh uh you were holding. I I would imagine like <laughs> like this new Jerry. I just imagine <laughs> you're you're like you're strapped like Fifty Cent, bro. Like I mean, yep. yeah.
2: I just I got uh you know my uh,
0: pocket sand that's yeah, the pocket it. sand yeah yeah pocket
2: sand I and, didn't realize uh, that
0: he could make pocket sand with hollow points that's pretty cool <laughs> yep <laughs> <laughs> so I
2: I didn't get to play any uh paper magic but I did uh, play some
0: magic online you know okay that kept me going you should, um, are you playing Legacy or are you just like playing drafts again
2: yeah so um I have been doing sneak and show on Magic Online I've been really uh, driving that home it feels. I don't really necessarily think anything's changed in the meta or anything, um, but I'm I'm grinding out about, you know, three twos with it. So as long as I can stay profitable, I'm fine. I, I still don't necessarily think it's great in the meta right now, but it's the deck I enjoy playing. So I'll right. just keep, keep running that through some leagues. Yes. And, you know, it's the deck I have sleeved up in paper. So I figured, you know, hey, if I'm starting to play a lot more paper events now, I might as well, you know, get the reps in and, mm-hmm. you know, make sure I'm practiced with the deck still. Yeah, totally, totally. So, but yeah, I mean, hope I'm I'm hoping the the meta starts to shift. You know, we start seeing, uh, you know, when the blue red delvers start saying that they shouldn't be running main deck red blasts anymore. You know, that's a good sign. That's a good uh, sign. Yeah, man. like I mean, that's that's
0: to me, that's just like there's just too much blue out there, and and it's nice I mean, because too uh, much non-blue. Uh, well, no, 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 sorry. If 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 blue red delvers playing red blast, there's there's too much blue out there, and the fact uh, that like it's not useful for me right now means that like things are probably equalizing a little bit you know what I mean yeah, in a the, good way so
2: pendulum swinging
0: exactly yeah and that's that's honestly what I want like I don't want to play Delver like mirror matches all the time I mean I like them but like that's not what people want to play at CM Legacy you know that's the, kind of the whole point of the format so the fact that I played like so many diverse decks in the last few weeks has been really nice it's just it's been hell on like trying to get back into the format because I'm like you know I'm starting with someone else's list and uh and it's not you know Yeah. It's for someone who's a better player than I am straight up. So I need to like, I need to get that crutch back and like, and and make it a little bit more my style, but it's been, it's been fun regardless.
2: And I've, I've noticed too, I've been playing a lot more reanimator decks lately. And uh-huh. like in for the 10 years that I've been playing Sneak and Show, whenever a reanimator starts to go on the upswing, it means like Sneak and Show is right on the hump behind it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Cause, yep. Cause like everyone, like reanimator gets popular, everyone starts packing the graveyard hate, and then it starts being, you know, the other Grizzle Brand decks turn to shine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah. Uh, other than that, though, I don't want to leave him waiting in the wings too long because we yeah. got a great guest on this week. He's uh back on. I think it's been I think Pat, I think it's been almost 3 years since Whoa, the last really? time we had him on
0: the cast. Yeah, well, I think is, we're talking with a different guy now. We're talking to a real entrepreneur. We're talking to <laughs> like a a a, crea- a creator of all kinds now.
2: <laughs> yeah, Elon Musk is on the cast
0: tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fuck that guy. No. This guy's way better than Elon. No. Yeah, right. Elon Musk. He is
2: way better than Elon Musk. We have Welcome back to the cast. It's been way too long, Mr. Jasper Birch. How you doing, buddy? I'm
3: doing, I'm doing really good. Um, so I have to pause for a second. Jerry, is is Gerald May pocket sand like canon now? Like this is your <laughs> go-to defense mechanism.
2: I always carry pocket sands. I mean, how how do you defend yourself? <laughs>
3: right. So I don't know, people on the cast probably don't remember. But three years ago when I was on, I was I had written a novel that never got published. And <laughs> one of the two main characters was named after gerald may and he carried pocket sand was like
2: <laughs> oh i totally forgot <laughs> the, about that yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> so like, true are you oh like, living God. this We're life from, now what a callback <laughs> <Yeah>. three year long callback <laughs> Jasper's unpublished book is actually like a like a Death Note style thing. Anything he writes in the book comes true.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'll throw I'll throw like I, it's not gonna if I like I'll throw it up just like for friends and family on um, the leaving a legacy. If anyone wants to, like melt their brain for for a couple hours.
2: Um, It was a pretty, it was a pretty great, it was a, it was a detective, uh, story. Well, yeah, sort of a detective story.
3: Yeah. It was like, so it was like Tony Laverde and, uh, uh...
2: Anthony was like the main character. (laughs)
3: And then Gerald May was like a neckbeardy, uh, card shop, unscrupulous card, card shop. I I
2: wasn't like the main. Nothing's changed then. (laughs) I wasn't, I wasn't like the main villain, but I was like the, like kind of like antagonist. uh, you know, and like like the anti-hero. Didn't... Yeah. Um, okay. Oh, hey.
0: interesting. <laughs> you were so funny because Jerry's person, yeah. Jerry's personal like dialogue with himself, like the story tells himself, is that he is the main hero. He's the main <laughs> character. Well, in in like in and honestly, like his character drove like whatever was
3: good about that novel, which I'm not saying was a lot, but like the the Gerald May character drove everything good in that <laughs> novel.
0: So <laughs> I remember Jerry telling me about this and being like, like I, he's like, I know who did this. And I can't tell if this is like a product of madness and obsession or like someone who's like just going out <laughs> on a really fun lark. And,
4: <laughs>
0: and Jerry's like, I have to lock my doors tonight. I think. <laughs> oh, I didn't say that. no, 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 no. <laughs>
4: uh,
0: that's so funny. Oh, but yeah, no, I totally forgot about that book you wrote.
2: It's been a while.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I wrote, I, I have a, I have a, a little drawer of unpublished novels that, I mean, it's interesting because I, I now uh, write a blog, a, uh, usually twice a week, um, so that's sort of, like, my writing creative outlet, even though it's very, sort of, a different type of writing, um, and I don't have, sort of, find that I have, like, the creative capacity and emotional capacity to, like, pursue storytelling outside of, like, the blog and board games, which is, sort of, what I'm doing um, full-time now was trying to publish board games, um, but it was, I mean, it was, it's, it's fun, it's fun to, like, create something like that, and even if, like, it never sort of like really sees the light of day to like have you know a hundred thousand words and be like I wrote these like I created this this cogent story that like exists in the world now for all of time. Yeah, for sure.
2: You know, it it is definitely a sense of accomplishment. I, I feel like it's it's a it's a pretty similar feeling I might imagine to like you know, carving a chair out of wood or, you know, building a patio or just, you know, doing something with your hands, though, it's like doing something with your hands and your mind. So you kind of get the best of both worlds there. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I've never built a patio, but like I could, I'm sure. I'm sure, I'm sure uh, my, my,
2: a- my father used me for uh, forced labor on many occasions.
3: Okay. <laughs> I was, I was more of like the ditch digger for like the gardens. So yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Excellent. Well, um, I definitely want to get into uh some talks about uh your game design, but real quick, I know you you played some magic this weekend. So you wanna let our listeners kind of know how that went for you?
3: Yeah. So um whenever like I, I'm rusty <laughs> in 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 legacy, Delver is just like the go-to, right? Mm-hmm. So like if I'm playing a lot, then like it'll be store. Um but if it's just like I'm playing every once in a while, then I mean, you know, it's an easier deck to be like competent at. Um so I I, I was like Pat, I was jamming the You Read Delver. Um, is it Delver? Um, you know, and, and it was fun. I didn't want to, I was mostly playing online. Um, so I jammed a decent amount of leagues online and like I hadn't played that much recently. So like I didn't want to buy meltdowns, which are like $40. Oh, my you know. Gosh. <laughs> so it's like Ridiculous. it's crazy. Like, i have them in paper but like it's like whenever you're playing online you have, you boot it back up and you're like do i want to spend like a <laughs> hundred bucks to like make my deck tier again um
4: right, right
3: and so like you know null rod but like that i was actually better i played that that kitten deck a couple times um yeah. and null rod just like eats that thing alive yeah. so it's pretty fun to just like which i feel like is probably why the meltdown is in there anyway um, but maybe people are afraid of bounce effects um, no, so rod. I was... no
0: rod just feels great to slam it and then you, just, you then it's just like answer this answer this card you know what i mean yeah a lot of, a lot of times they just don't they don't have the answer for that card which is really... no rod by the way jasper is like one of my all-time favorite sideboard cards like i'm i'm actually looking at three of them sitting on my desk right now it doesn't include the one or two copies that's in my side my current sideboard that's somewhere downstairs so Uh, Oh Yeah, big fan of that card. You don't have to convince me for sure.
2: Its use has only gone up too. like I I was surprised how often I was siding it in
4: because like I've had
2: I've had no rod in my sideboard for a while now. Mm -hmm. Like I had no rod in my GP Niagara, you know, list from like 2018. So it's been in my sideboard for a while. But I like. I would maybe side it in against Storm, you know, something like that. But basically, ever since Urza Saga got printed, yes, No Rod is coming in like almost every game. It
0: feels well. It, like. It's got and it's got like incidental hate against a lot against a few other decks too. So it's not just like you know, it, it's not just the the kit and combo deck that it's got good. It, it's gonna get There's just other decks where like you slim and like even Death and Taxes, you slim a No Rod And, like that puts a huge dent in their ability to to pull off some of their game plan you know what I mean so it's 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 a nice car to have in your sideboard yeah I, I will shame. I will die on that hill for sure
2: it is a shame it is reserved list though
0: no it's not because I told a bunch of people in Niagara to pick up copies and <laughs> many people have thanked me for that uh in the after in the after effects of so it it's
3: not it's not reserved list is it
0: yes yeah. it is yeah it's reserved list oh yep. wow all right yeah stupid right like it's it's yeah I don't even know where they go for right now. They're prob- they probably they might even be a crisp hundo at this point. Yeah, last uh, when
2: you were telling people at GP Niagara, I think they were only like fifteen bucks or something. Yeah, like
0: they're that. right now. TCG player has them for seventy five. Yeah. Did you guys see that a TCG player is buying Channel Fireball? Well, what? What? No. Yeah. Yeah, I saw Wait. a headline today. That wow, oh, wow. that's news Hold to on. me.
2: I totally did not see that.
0: Re- um, like outright. Apparently, yeah. Did, so didn't... They're buying them in like a, a some some other company. Did CFB unionize? Was that the or is that a different company? I, I, I don't know. So yeah, so I, I know one of the car like one of the car companies or is like going through a unionization effort, um, which is awesome. But um yeah. Oh, interesting. that's interesting, huh? Okay.
2: You know, I've I've heard from a lot of like store owners and things like that that like TCG has way more money than than you'd think. <laughs> I mean it's dude, spread businesses make bank. Right, like yeah, it's just you don't don't have to do any like inventory or anything else yourself. You're just well, they have stuff, don't they? They carry their, they carry some stuff. But uh, but I mean, that's not really how they make their money. They make their money connecting people. Gotcha. Yeah,
3: Yeah.
2: that's how they. are like an exchange.
3: They're an Yeah, yeah, they're marketplace. But like,
2: I remember I was surprised because where was it? There was some GP and uh, the city it was in TCG player had its headquarters in. And people were like, oh, did you walk by the TCG headquarters? like, oh, I'll go check it out. And I just walked by and it was like, it looked much more like a San Francisco, like tech company than a card store. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like they, you know, they all had like the standing desks and the, uh, uh, you know, the rolling balls instead of office chairs. And, you know, I could see like, they had like the fully stocked, like kitchenette area. And there was all sorts of like gamer nerd art on the wall. Like it definitely had a very like, very sleek you know lots of money backing uh you know look to it so i'm actually not surprised that they're big enough to just buy channel fireball wow you also have to
3: remember like they don't they aren't just magic cards right like yeah
2: they're everything you know but po- they, they made a ton of money on pokemon i'm sure during the pandemic when pokemon was going
0: crazy again
2: yeah
0: huh well that's cool i guess yeah
3: yeah i mean i, I, I mean it makes sense right like they like channel fireball like i don't know if they how much they care about channel Fireball's like um sort of like storefront but like it is very good you know channel fireball is very good at marketing and is very good at like getting eyes on um who they are right like can people buy channel fireball even when they're not the cheapest in town just because like they like the content creators over there right
2: yeah because it's it's surprising well not surprising but you know, if you ask people, you know, what are the, the big names in magic card stores? Like probably the first two that people think of is Star City Games and Channel Fireball in pretty much the yeah. same breath. Like
0: really? Okay. Star
2: oh yeah, like it's always been kind of like Star City Games was East Coast, Channel
0: Fireball was West Coast. Yeah, I don't know. You know what? That that makes sense. I always think of Card Kingdom too, but that's
2: yeah, cool. Card Kingdom too. Uh I, Card Kingdom was definitely up there as well, but I I like I would put like Star City Games first, Channel Fireball second, Card Kingdom yeah, third. I could see it. that for sure. And like and Channel Fireball to Star Star City Games was a much smaller gap between them. Mm-hmm. And it's like Star City Games was always kind of the king of it because it it had the circuit and you know that's that's how Star City Games got a lot of like eyeballs on its sales and things like that was mm-hmm. the circuit but it was always impressive that like channel fireball was right up there with them and they didn't have a circuit other than, you know, their storefront and occasionally doing a GP here and there. Yeah. So yeah, they've, they've been really good. I mean, when I first got back into magic, you know, I got back in watching, you know, Louis Scott Vargas and Pablo Domino. Uh, I always mask Pablo, Pablo Domino, PBDR, PBDR, PBDR. Papaginos, Papaginos. (laughs) but, uh, like Louis Scott Vargas and PVDR videos on Channel Fireball, like those those were staples getting back into the game.
0: Yeah, yeah, interesting. Huh. Yeah, I'm I'm wondering if like if T- if TCG player is going to keep like it seems like that would be the reason to buy like S- Channel Fireball, you know? But like it's it's one of those weird things too, where like if if I will then this is complete speculation. I have no authority or even enough where like no know how of the business to like of the industry to say this, but like. It seems to me like if TCG player wanted to spend money on content creators, they would, but they obviously don't. So like
3: so you're saying that they're not acquiring leaving a legacy? <laughs> <laughs>
0: they, they've, they've approached us a few times. I've told them to fuck off. Um, you know, they 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 can bring us these these like these ridiculous numbers, and I'm like, no, there's no way. because um, <laughs>
2: I'm not getting these offers and I'm well, like, I could really use that money back
0: because because Jerry, I, I just know that you'd be you would be insulted by how, how incredibly low they were. So Oh, um, I see, Yeah, you know, but they're, I, they're, I, they're
2: only six figures instead of seven figures. Oh,
0: well, I mean, yeah. I mean, you have to start at seven and work. You, you, and plus like Michael Scott told me, you always reject the first offer. Anyway, you always, <laughs> you, you only listen to the second offer. So, <laughs> um, but I will, um, it'll be interesting to see what happens like, you know, in the long run, because if a company like TCG player has all this money, enough money to buy channel fireball, what was stopping them in the first place from creating their own content creation farm? Well, it's probably they, just, they don't well want to spend the money one. on it.
3: I mean they have a content creation farm, right? Like um uh like uh I mean like Mike Forrest wrote for them for a little while. Um was the guy who always plays Death and Taxes. He wrote for them for a while. Like they have they do have articles of, like oh, they are um, pretty decent.
0: Yeah, that vegan dude. What's his name? Uh I can't think of his name right now. But my, my my what I'm all I'm saying is that like if they didn't put the resources into it and they had the resources, I I'm I'm curious to see if like five years from now like the channel fireball, like though that that echelon of of creators gets gutted. Do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. they don't like they just it definitely cause, could. Cause you see that happen when when one quiet co- company acquires another company. And the reason is because they want like, you know, they want whatever this other we company love, we does love well. their culture they, we love their right their,
2: their, their work and they end up and, and then they, they end
0: up they end up just yeah they end up just gutting it because it doesn't because those two things clash right they're not well, but and also we're gonna be like off topic here but the, anyway.
3: well yeah it's i mean it's 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 all off topic right and also the the uh like the face of channel fireball is like lsb right I'm like i'm pretty sure isn't he like one of the owners so like will he still have the same kind of like in like personal stake in the success of like right. this brand right right um. Once it's acquired, maybe I don't know. I didn't know the guy, so maybe.
0: Who yeah. knows?
2: It, it Who would knows? definitely be interesting. So that's an interesting bit of news.
0: Breaking yeah. here first on leaving a legacy. Yeah, yeah, we're breaking <laughs> breaking news. Everyone
2: else knows, what we just found out. <laughs> Oh, well, doesn't help that the uh, episode comes out a week after we record it, so it'll definitely be old yeah. news by the time it comes out. For sure, <laughs> these
0: for these sure. hot takes, are like... yeah, right. The be- only the best, hot, only the best and least informed hot takes in this show.
2: <laughs> well, let's circle back because uh, I definitely want to talk about you know the main reason why we had you on, Jasper, is since the last time we had you on uh, a couple of years ago, you designed and published. Your own board game, so we yes. wanted to talk to you about that. You know, a little, little off basis from Magic, but hey, it's. <laughs> It's a bunch of magic players playing a different game, so you know, close enough. Also, <laughs> like
0: we talk about what the fuck we want in this podcast. So that's, that's just facts, right there. So, yeah, next
2: next week we're talking about a state. My little tax pony. Law.
0: We're talking about my little pony dice. Yeah, dice my trading. little
2: pony and a state tax law. Those will be next week's
0: topics. <laughs> my little pony uh, limited edition dice arbitrage that Jerry participated in at Hascon in 2017.
2: Yeah, we were talking about that at uh, the the ELD tournament the other day. How I made a killing going around buying My Little Pony dice and reselling them on ebay
0: yeah. jerry <laughs> ripped off so many eight-year-old girls it was awesome <laughs> <laughs> come on
2: come on they they were they were listen 20, it wasn't 20 even their, 25 it was their par- year old lo- lonely men
0: and you it was that. their parents money anyway so it doesn't matter
2: <laughs> no you know i only got the bronies the the 20 to 25 year old lonely men who believe friendship is magic
0: <laughs> yeah bronies are only second on the cringe list to like adult disney chip people
2: <laughs> <laughs> i why is adult jasper help settle this one Adult okay. Disney, would you go to Disney World with just you and your wife? You know, no kids. Oh
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Totally normal. That should be a crime. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Pat, they have like roller coasters and like, have you seen the Star Wars experience? Like That is it, so
0: that people who have kids can enjoy going it when they're no, dragged to it by like their own children.
3: Jerry, I'll do you one better. I was on a, a work marketing trip to like visit a hedge fund in Orlando. And I went to Disney World by myself.
2: Oh, see? <laughs> see Pat? <laughs> you don't even need to have anyone with you to enjoy the magic that is Disney World. <laughs> I, have
3: so though, many emotions I right do now, I, though, I mean. do feel like I do feel like adult in like Epcot much more acceptable than like adult in Magic Kingdom on there. Well, own. that
0: okay, that that's kind of what I'm referring to. Like People who get all bricked up to see like a guy dress up as uh, Mickey Mouse is like is a little bit of a little bit of a it's a it's what we call a red flag. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, listen. I just want to go. Jasper, Jasper is here to talk about like his life's (laughs) mission right now, something he's poured his heart and soul into. I'm not going to continue to make fun of adults who love Disney World. I I won't. I I refuse to do it now. We have hundreds of episodes ahead of us for me to do that, Jerry.
2: It's childish. It's childish. You, you are childish. yeah, you're racist against people without children.
0: <laughs> Jerry, if you go to like a uh, like a like a playground <laughs> Pat, without kids, you, you know, that's like the
2: gears turning and Pat's
0: yeah, I'm just like, them. no, I'm trying to like think of like how I explain this to you, Jerry, because you have gotten more and more batshit crazy as time's gone on in the last few months. And I will say that, like, if you go to a playground without children, guess what? People call the cops, it, dude. There's a difference. If you're, just going, to someone, if you're sitting next to someone on the bench, you're like, oh, yeah, how, how you doing? Oh, where's your kid? He's like, oh, I don't have a kid. Be like, time out. <laughs> time out. Totally,
2: that is totally different than going to a theme park. Yes, that's right. It is totally different. Like, so going to like a park in your neighborhood to traveling
0: thousands there. of miles in an airplane <laughs> to go to a park that costs hundreds of dollars to get into. Yes, that is totally different. I'm just, like, I'm
3: just imagining like the socially acceptable times for Jerry to be. On like playgrounds, and I feel like it's like <laughs> it's like two in the morning, and he has like a cigarette like hanging out of his mouth, and he's just like on the swing. To yeah, devil. you gotta got hit
2: the, you gotta hit that that twilight hour because if it's too early in the day, all the kids are there, and you look weird. And if it's too late at night, all now the you look kids like a, are
0: there. The now place is like designed a for. Ball.
2: Also, just to be clear, I don't hang out at playgrounds. I just. Want- Make that clear. Uh, I just yeah, think it's perfectly uh, not acceptable. Not anymore
0: now that he's now he's got a restraining order.
2: I think it's perfectly acceptable to just go to Disney World. As well. my, my friend had his wedding at Disney World. There aren't any kids there, but we we're all hanging out, having a good time. He got married there. You no, know, nothing wrong with that.
0: There are a lot of things wrong with that, but we're going to move on, Jerry. We're going to move on. Oh boy.
2: All right. <laughs> all right. Let's get back to the the main topic. So Jasper, how do you go from working in a hedge fund to working on a board game? So all right, so there's sort
3: of two sides to the question. Right? Um the first is is like how do you go from working in a hedge fund and having like, you know, decent income and like a stable life and to to pursuing something that is much less certainty, um, of sort of like the range of outcomes and, um, but much more like fulfilling, right. Because I feel like there's like a lot of different routes that you can go from there. Um, and the, you know, the long short of it is like, I was in a career, but I wasn't fulfilled or happy in that career. And the career came with like a huge amount of stress and anxiety that just like grew over time. Right. So like,
2: what in a finance hedge fund? What? (laughs) <laughs> well,
4: i mean i
3: lasted a long time in finance dude like i i started in 2008 um and and uh and a uh, hedge fund uh, a historically
2: like, great year to start in finance <laughs> no, it
3: actually it actually was it actually was because if you made it you got a lot more upward mobility um so like yeah because so like, everyone I,
2: else was dead or fired people
3: <laughs> got blown out people got blown out um and and so like and then i spent seven years at a hedge fund. Um. And it was one of those things where like, there's a lot that I love about finance, the discovery, the <laughs> sort of like digging into like these companies and understanding how things work. Um, and sort of like also like being, knowing what's going on in the world, right? Like that's sort of a, a kind of a cool perk. Um, it was also like a lot of downside. There's a lot of like, a lot of stress and anxiety and like sort of not caring about like the actual nitty gritty of it. Like I don't care if interest rates are up 10 basis points, right? Like. And I had to care. I had to like make myself care about that because that affects mortgages, right?
2: Damn, um, it, damn it, Ben Bern- Bernacki. Why do I care how you feel? <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was, it was,
3: it ended up being like pretty, um, you know, Chelsea and I, I'd been looking for an exit for a long time, which is part of why I like I wrote the novels is because I was looking for like, which sort of gives you a, an idea of like the scope of how long this was is like, I was always looking for like some sort of next step or next adventure, or or something to sort of like give me the fulfillment that I wasn't getting at work, um, and end up just being that like I didn't have the emotional energy to do my job to the level that I know it needed to be done, and to have emotional energy for the rest of my life, um, and so I looked for an exit. I had been searching for an exit, and then one sort of fell in our laps. Um, I designed Nut Hunt um, in late summer, 2020, um, I designed other games in the past, um, sort of as a hobby. And this was, I just, as a hobby, I threw some, uh, mechanisms together, um, and I got it to the table and within 15 minutes, within actually less than that, within like 60 seconds of playing it, it was like obvious that there was something very, very special there. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, the, the game is sort of like a family weight sort of gateway game type thing um and the genesis of it was like ticket to ride but you can break up people's routes um and from that this whole game sort of fell out it was like you know it's a forest theme with a fox and these squirrels that are running on the board it's a modular hex board all these things um but this mechanism that i invented for it is this sort of agent of chaos in the game which is this fox which moves around the board breaking up your territory but also like you can use it to your advantage um, strategically with how you position your squirrels. so you get scattered where you want
2: to go. Yeah, it kinda, um, and kind of reminds me of um, the thief in Settlers of Catan that you can like it can go around and like break things up.
3: Yeah, it's um, it I think I think optically it, it looks like that um, a, a bit because it is a hex coordinate, is it is this this guy this object in the middle of these squares these square these these hexes, mm-hmm. um, but what's cool about it is like it's the the strategy in the game there is a good amount of strategy but the strategy in the game is a type of strategy that a lot of magic card players like um which is like where you are um building strategy on top of variance or on top of uncertain outcomes right so if you're playing show and tell jerry right and you're trying to sculpt your hand to be like it i just need to draw like one fluster storm within the next two turns if i make this play and i'll be able to go off through their force of will right yeah. um and you're sort of like building a plan around like uncertain outcomes and what's cool about nut hunt and why a lot of magic card players like it is that it takes that sort of type of thinking but it ports it to a spatial reasoning puzzle on this board with this fox that's moving around um so like magic card players aren't like the target target audience for not nut hunt is like For the gateway gamers, the Catan players, the Ticket to Ride players, or for like families who have like a nine-year-old kid and want to have a fun game to play on game night that is more than like, you know, that is a bit toothier. Um, Mm -hmm. But there is, especially when you're playing one-on-one, if you're playing with someone who sort of understands that same type of strategy, um, then you can get into these types of games where it really does feel like this sort of like knife fight of spatial reasoning. Um, Yeah. Which is pretty cool.
2: I, um, I, I do really like that. The fact that it's one-on-one because um, that can really make or break a board game for me because I have yeah. a closet full of board games that are gathering dust and like I never play because, you know, every, especially since COVID, I just don't have people over to play board games over that often. But yep. if it's a one-on-one board game, you know, that's something I can just break out and me and the girlfriend can play just like I can tell you one better, Gary, Yeah, it is It is one to
3: five players. So you can play by yourself
2: oh by yourself yeah. there is
3: there is a solo mode that is like very puzzly um nice so yeah so it's a it's a range but I mean, that's a big part of it is like um like yeah no that was that was you know that was important right like to have that range of player counts um and like the one player was just a matter of designing like a way to have an atonement that feels like the actual game um but getting to a fifth player, you know, like adds real production costs with like the components we had to add in. Um, so it wasn't like trivial, but it was like, you know what, like it's important for this game mm-hmm. to have that fifth player option because like we want, you know, families to be able to to really enjoy it. And, and a lot of families want that fifth player option.
2: Yeah, for sure. Now, a lot of uh you know, game designers that I that I know, a lot of them are magic players. And do you feel it's just kind of the like Magic sets your brain pathways up on this, uh, you know, certain way of thinking about games. Because the way I think of it, it's like, you know, with Magic Player, everyone's a little bit of a designer in some way because you have to build your deck. Like even if you're a net decker, you're still going to be making changes. So you're going to be designing your deck and then designing decks turns into, you know, designing cubes. And then, you know, designing cubes, some people design their own like draft sets. And then from there, it's, it's, it's a pretty easy jump. I would say to start, you know, just designing full-fledged games. Once you're kind of in that designer mindset.
3: I, I don't think it hurts. Um, It's interesting because I do think that you need to, to do anything well, I think you sort of like need to consume a lot of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And magic cards people get really really passionate about magic cards and in some sense it's one game right whereas like there's a lot of other game systems out there that other people who design games and play a lot of you know play a lot of these other games but magic Cards sort of has a lot of like sub games within it right like there's a lot of different puzzles and a lot of different sort of like mechanisms within magic cards and there are you know ways that magic cards make you think and i think it's I I think it's interesting because I do think the, the designer for it, we have a second game that we signed. Um, and the designer for that game, his name is um, Andreas Vollmer, Andy Vollmer. Um, and that's our second game Sigil, which I think will appeal to Magic card players very, very heavily. Um, and that's sort of one of our marketing focuses, getting Magic card players on board. Um, but he's a big Magic card player. Um, and he like was on the pro tour way back in the day, right? Like he, he also is like that. Um, But when I look around, like outside of people who design magic cards, I think it's impossible to, it's almost impossible to like design games and not have played magic cards because I think almost anyone who plays games seriously has at least played a game of magic cards. Mm -hmm. Um, But not all of them are like what you would think of as like magic card players, right? Like some really big designers, like you, you know, Reiner Kinesio, right? Like Jamie Stegmeier, right? Elizabeth Hargrave, like none of them are like magic card players, um, but I'm sure they've played it. Um, But I think more broadly, um, you know, just sort of, uh, I think that people who play magic cards seriously, um, I think one magic cards inherently makes you think certain ways and gives you this sort of sense about like how you can, you know understanding probability and the uncertainty of outcomes and that like you know you can position yourself for the right the right outcome probabilistically but it oh, doesn't yeah. always happen I mean, right
2: we we um, see it all the way like people People bring it all back to Magic all the time while playing other games. Like I remember playing things like uh, like the Ascension game. Someone's like, "Oh, I built a storm deck." (laughs) It's like, "Oh, you built this you built this Magic deck in another game."
3: This little engine goes off,
2: which is just like that's like a brand new sentence. (laughs) Like it's just a bundle of words, but I know exactly what they're
0: talking about. Uh, Yeah, because we think about the game. When you play Uno and you make yourself draw cards, yeah,
2: (laughs) 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 yeah. Like like you always know a Magic player when they cast the draw four on themselves. (laughs) Yeah.
3: <laughs> well, it's interesting. So one, I think the magic cards even more broadly, they're like people who who can, can, who who can be self-critical in how they analyze like their magic, their game actions, right? Or like, you know, Pat earlier was talking about like my Red Elemental Blast isn't good anymore, right? And he can be critical about like how he thinks through like this this abstract concept that is in the world. I think that sets people up to be more successful generally And, you know, there's only so many games that, like, can be published every year and, like, can be really successful any any year. And, like, I think that, like, in life, the people, types of people who are drawn to magic cards, who are, like, get really, who are sort of drawn to this, like, intellectual endeavor that is abstract. And then the types of people who can commit time to improve themselves in this little, like, model of the world that is, like, magic gathering. I think, like, that those people tend to, like, do better on average, like, just in life in general, Um, so that, like, you'll often see their names, like, like, high, you know, like, on things that they've created, or, like, you know, they're, they're, like, it's, maybe it's just, like, selection bias, and that, like, all the successful people that I know play Magic cards, or most of them, not all of them, but, like, a good number of them, Um, but, like, it seems that way, like it seems like magic cards, Mm -hmm. but not only what it does to us, but like the types of people who are drawn to it, like that it really is this sort of like covariate to like other types of skills and endeavors that you'll pursue in life. Mm
4: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
3: Especially leaving a legacy listeners.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Um, Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely a lot to think about. I mean, I guess that's why we play these games in the first place is, you know, we want to
0: think about these things, you know, think critically want. about them, right? Right. Like, that's the fun. Exactly. That's the fun. Like you, you can play, you can play a lot of different kinds of games and never really think back about how you can play it better because there's so many things that are left to chance. You know what I mean? Like in a lot of games, like some, some things are just completely randomly generated via, like say dice rolls or whatever the case is. Whereas in like yeah. Magic, like it's it's a game where you can get better every single time you play or at least in the aggregate, you know, and it, I think Magic rewards that kind of a brain that works that way. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. And I, I think people are, you know, naturally seek that out in other games, too. Like, do you feel like how would you how would you describe Nuthun? Would you say it's like a game that's you know, easy to learn, tough to master? Or would you say it's like, you know, yeah, I mean, the taglines that are, have been made famous over the years?
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's cliche. I think that, like that's the, the cliche saying. Um, So, yeah. so high level. So so Nut Hunt uh, is, it's about 10 minutes to teach it. Um, If someone plays a ton of games, you know, I've taught it in like three or four minutes, right? Like I, we, we can teach it pretty quick, but it's about 10 minutes to teach. And then it's about, you know, Say half hour 40 minutes to play your first play might be like 45 minutes so like it's not like super heavyweight game it's really like this, this game that you can get in there i think that really what it is is it is it, it and this is what i think sets it apart from some other sort of like games in the sort of hobby game genre is that you tend to have Sort of on one end of the spectrum, what's called like Euro games, um, and Euro games tend to have like very low levels of variance, and they can be very thinking and very crunchy, and they tend to be very thinking and crunchy, but they're thinking and crunchy in like a deterministic way, where you're figuring out like if I get two oil this turn, I can get a coal next turn, which will let me, you know, sell it for three dollars and buy a coal processor. Right? You're thinking about like these engines in like this very like deterministic way. And then on the other side of the table, you have games that are like sort of very high variance and you know the outcomes are like very determined by sort of like just variability and sort of it's fun, it's lightweight, it's a party game, it's whatever. And then you have this sort of like middle ground that is a little bit more nuanced where it is really, there is a depth of strategy, but it's strategy layered on top of uncertainty. And so to play it perfectly, right? Like to play perfectly is like almost impossible, right? Like, and it could, you know, you could spend tons and tons of time to try and figure out like the perfect play patterns, but you know, the, just like magic cards, the best player might win 70% of the time, Mm -hmm. right? Like just like, because there's that variance that does level the playing field, you can have someone who is novice, who is just, you know, chucking dice, having fun, who can have an absolute blast. And sometimes, you know what, they're going to win. Um, and like, that's kind of magical. Um, and I think that when we talk about game when in my seat, so listeners, I publish board games now, um, that's my job now. And in my seat, when I look at board games, I think it's very important that we think about like, what kind of player is going to be drawn to this because mm. different players have different motivating factors, right? Mm-hmm. The Tron player has different motivating factors than, you know, the the control player then the red aggro player then the person who builds a fairies deck because they like fairies and not because it's a good deck right like it you have different players have different motivating factors and how and not only sort of like tactical strategy like strategic depth but like how that strategic depth is applied very how, like how the preference for that varies greatly from player to player and some players like they don't want like they want to think because they're playing a game we don't play a game we don't want to think but they don't want to have like those crunchy moments and other players just want those crunchy moments and some players love a lot of variants and some players hate variants and so i think it's an interesting question jerry because like that cliche of like easy to learn tough to master is like sort of a call sign for a very specific type of game which is you know i think the it's misused that 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 sort of like phrasing is, is sometimes really misused and misapplied to games that like mm-hmm. aren't easy to learn a lot of times it's sort of like really hard to learn it's, games. it's like easy, easy to, to, learn. to learn
2: it's easy to learn if you have a phd in
3: hard to <laughs> <Exactly. master. laughs> like they say that but like uh um, that's interesting because you do have these these psychographics right which is like you know if you think about even the magic cards the spikes and the johnnies are very different motivating factors and i think that that sort of phrasing is a call sign to some sort of psychographic profile and nut hunt is a psychographic profile that i think ideal gamer for it is either like families or like someone who who wants to think and have like and sort of ha- like make their brain work but doesn't want it to be like a super dry experience like you like fun you like a little chaos and you like your strategy but you like your strategy in the way that a poker player likes their strategy and likes going all in when they have a draw right like that's the type of nut hunt gamer is someone who enjoys the sort of like enjoys strategy and enjoys variance and that's sort of like our target in terms of like gamers and then it's also because there's the level playing field of variance like it's also very approachable for like families where like you don't have to play perfectly to like have a shot at like mm. taking home the taking home the cake
2: mm-hmm. gotcha Actually, speaking of, we probably should have mentioned this earlier. You know, what what is the win condition of Nut Hunt? Like okay. how does one win the game? So,
3: yeah. So, in gaming terms, it's a connections game. Um, so what that means is you're trying to connect places on the board and do score points if you achieve those, right? So in the game, you're placing squirrels on the board, building scroll nets, which are your anchors, and you have secret objectives that you're trying to achieve, which connect different territories on this board. And it's highest. Score wins um, when the game ends. The game ends when someone builds their fourth nest. Um, and what's cool about it is that like you don't score your objectives until the end of the game. And because there's this agent of chaos in the game, this fox that's moving around the board, you might achieve an objective but not be able to hold on to it, and so not get those points at the end of the game. Oh, um yeah. So the, it can be a fru- little bit
2: frustrations. <laughs> yes.
3: Yeah. So I mean, so so here's the thing. So I. I I obviously I've talked about and I also want to tell you guys a little bit about our next game because I think magic card players will especially love it. yeah, um, but one of like the broad sort of like um, ideas behind our company and one of the reasons why I was able to be like, you know what, like I'm done with finance. I have the savings with Chelsea to like live for a couple of years to get this company off the ground and hopefully we can like make a living out of it. One of the reasons that we were able to take that plunge is because, like, we took the game out to show it to people and to have people play it. This was like a rough, rough, rough game. Like This was like, you know, crayon artwork and like, <laughs>
4: you
3: know, glue sticks holding everything together. And we played it with strangers, put it in front of strangers. And we had people tell us, this is my favorite game. Hmm. Full stop. Wow. Right? Like they played it, you know, they played it, they played it again. And they were like, this is my favorite game. No ifs, no buts, nothing else. And the fact that like there was that level of resonance with this game is incredible. Like not everyone is going to love it, right? Like if you are someone who hates variants and you need determinism, like you won't like it. If you are someone who doesn't, under, doesn't sort of grok like playing the odds, that type of strategy, like might not be your favorite game if you don't like sort of high energy fast paced games that take 40 minutes like you won't love it but like there are people where this is their favorite game ever and what we're doing with the company is like i want to make a living off of publishing board games and to do that there's a couple of different ways you can approach publishing board games and a lot of people do it as like a hobby on top of their jobs And when you're doing it as a hobby, you know, you sort of want to break even, you want to make a a little bit of money, right? You want to sort of propagate this hobby and bring something creative and beautiful into the world. When you want to create a business and publish a game and make a living off of it, you can't make 10 or $20,000 once or twice a year off of publishing a board game, right? Like that's not going to feed you and give you enough money to make the next board game. Um, So you have to position yourself where you are sort of like buying optionality, where you're getting the games that like, maybe they're sort of hard to get them to, to find the perfect people for them. And you're investing a lot of money in the illustration. You're getting the best graphic designer you can get. You're doing everything you can to sort of like buy that chance that it just like becomes something bigger than, you know, bigger than life. Right. That like it sells a hundred thousand copies or sells 200,000 copies or like is the next thing. Like you have to sort of like try and buy the optionality. And then eventually, you know, you'll be a big enough company where like you, you don't need, you know, like your standard releases, you have enough of an audience that like, they're bringing in enough, you know, enough sort of repeat customer revenue that maybe it's not the same sort of business model, but at least at first, like our first, our first like three or four games, like we're trying to do something to like position them. So like we can create like one of these could just like, be a wildfire and be, you know, be awesome. Right. So, so that's a strategy with it. Um, And that's why we sort of had the confidence nut hunt. And with our next game, it's similar. Like it's a very different type of gamer. And there's a risk to that when you're running a business to put out games that are sort of different genres, but our second game is a very different sort of like target market. But we've also had people who have told us full stop, this is my favorite game. Right. And Mm -hmm. The second game isn't my design. Um, We acquired, we've licensed the design from another designer. Um, It's sort of like book publishing, um, but with board games, you pay them in advance and then they get like a percentage of the revenue that you get off the game. Um, So in this case, it's like 7% of the revenue will go to the designer. Um, And the second game is, um, it's called Sigil. And it's the best way to describe it is it's Go meets Magic the Gathering. So, it's like an abstract strategy. It's only two players. It's an abstract strategy game where you're placing stones on a board to try and crush your opponent's pieces. Mm -hmm. But it's set in this like magic runic sigil. And on the board are nine spells that each game are randomly dealt out. So, there's nine random spells on the board. And if you fill any of the spells with your stones, so the spells are different sizes, some take one stone to to fill some take three and some take five if you fill them you can sacrifice your stones in that spell to cast that spell for like a powerful effect Hmm. so it's like it's a very different than the hunt because it's deterministic once the board is set up it's it's like chess or go where it's like completely deterministic but like it's this it's an abstract strategy game where you're like you're you're dueling one-on-one versus your opponent and i think it's incredible um it's a really really good game we looked at well over a hundred games um that people submitted to us um before i found this game um and we decided that it was like sort of like even though it wasn't in the same sort of like marketing genre as not hunt we thought it was just like too good to not get the rights to it and bring it to market Mm -hmm. Um, and it's yeah, magic players. I think are going to like magic. Like, if you like chess, if you like magic cards, if you like go, um, you're going to absolutely like lose your shit over this game. <laughs> like, it is it's it's so cool because you're like you're battling over this magic circle and you're placing stones and it's like you're pouring energy into it, but it's super tactical and it's super like it's super cool. Um, and what's also cool is that like the designer is a developer at Google. So he like built a digital version of it. And then we hired on um, a front end developer, an outside um, developer. And we are going to have like our own completely 100% free to play um, browser based. So you can play on your phone, your computer, anything with a web browser browser based version of this game, mm-hmm. complete with like, you know, a single player AI, um, you know private matches and then um, ladder matches with a full ELO system. And our hope is eventually with like matched matched rank play. um, And like, it's going to be, it's cool. It's really cool. um And I think like your listeners are going to really love it. And I, like in the, in the LAL group, Facebook group, I'll throw out when we, when we go to beta with the digital platform, I'll throw something in there. So people can like get
0: on board, and try it out. Yeah. Um, but I think people will really like it that's awesome now you uh, released the- you nut hut on um on kickstarter right yeah yeah if people wanted to buy a version of the game now obviously the kickstarter is over i would think right so, so- yeah
3: so you can um, so not like this instant you can't so um right now this week i'm deciding how many units to print um so for anyone listening um kickstarter is sort of a, a pre-sale platform for for anything and for we're using it as a pre-sale platform for board games And a big benefit of it is um, one, you know, you get to, uh, you know, it's a pre-sale and it helps us like gauge demand for the game, at least Mm -hmm. like that first print run. Um, So right now I'm deciding between printing like 2,500 and 3,000 units. And for context, we sold 1,232 or we had 1,232 backers in the Kickstarter. When you factor in like retail stores that reached out to us and like different pledge levels mm-hmm. we sold about like 14 or 1500 games okay right so we've sold about 14 or 1500 and i'm going to print either a thousand or 1500 more than that mm-hmm. um and we'll do like a limited late pledge window um, where people can sort of like buy the game at the kickstarter price um, and sort of get all the kickstarter benefits um, ahead of time and then once the game sort of like fulfills so um, on the Kickstarter, we say that you'll have it at the end of March. Realistically, you'll probably have it a little bit earlier. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sort of getting it accelerating the manufacturing process. Um, so uh, once the game is like out in the wild, you know, the hope is, you know, we'll sell some more games to retail stores ahead of time and have a little bit more out there, but hopefully we'll have like 500 or a thousand still mm-hmm. in stock to sort of sell at a higher price than what the Kickstarter offered, right? Because you're coming in later. Um, But yeah, the the hope is that like this game will be available forever, Um, but it's a matter of like selling these excess games and then figuring out like how we want to keep on bringing it to market. Um, And I'm going to tangent for a second because I think this is interesting for your listeners. So um, typically a a very typical strategy for indie board game publishers um, is to use a Kickstarter you know, you build up sort of, it's a good call to action. It's some, you get some marketing. It sort of helps you build a, an audience and get a game out to the world. Oftentimes an indie publisher will, you know, not make a lot of money on that first Kickstarter because you have a lot of sort of like sunk costs into mm-hmm. bringing a game to market. Um, and then the hope is, is that like after you sell the access games that you print, that there's more demand for your game. And then you have sort of two options. One of them is just to like, do another print run on your own and like put it out into the world and try and sort of get it to be, you know, in, you know, get it into game stores who sold out of the last six games that you sent them or 10 games that you sent them. The other option um, is that if you get sort of like if on release things sell out really quickly, or you get some sort of like reviews, because a lot of reviewers won't look at games that aren't available in retail yet. So if you get like a couple of really good reviews. Um, you could just like suck up all of the supply. Mm -hmm. So what you would do then is you would do a second Kickstarter um, and you'd have to have an expansion because you can't kickstart the same thing twice. So then you'll often see like a a game that maybe came out a year and a half ago doing a second Kickstarter, but the Kickstarter is like expansion, right? So you can Mm -hmm. either buy the expansion, you can buy the base game or you can buy both. And that sort of gives the company the funding to like, do a larger print run which is where they like make most of their money is like on that second larger Kickstarter but the game has to be good enough and has to have the demand to, to like sort of accomplish that
0: okay nice
3: but yeah our hope is that you can buy in the hunt forever but um, it's very helpful to us um, if people sort of are involved in the Kickstarters or are involved in the pre-sale um, because it really sort of helps us like get to a broader audience, which is really yes, important yeah. for
2: like hitting that critical
3: mass yeah, of, like interest.
2: Now we've talked about marketing a little bit now. I mean, I, I don't need to tell you, but we're, you know, we're in what people have been calling, you know, the board game renaissance, you know, board mm-hmm. games have exploded in popularity, uh, over the last couple of years, actually probably over the last decade, if not more. And, you know, that while that's great that you know there's all these new board game players and everyone's playing all these board games but that also means that there's just a ton of competition out there too right like how do you yeah. how do you set yourself apart from like the 30 other board games that are coming out
3: um so i think it's it's interesting so my so even with the so there's a lot of ways to approach this. so one um sort of the if, you know like 4000 board games come out a year Um, But that statistic is from games that are added to like Board Game Geek, which is like a database of board games. Um, The vast, 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 vast majority of those are what I would call like hobbyist publishing. Right. So like we're like an indie publisher. um, But, you know, we put north of $40,000 into bringing a game to market. Right. Like real money, like real illustration our graphic designer was the graphic designer for Wingspan, like we did it right. And there's nothing to say that like doing it with a lower budget isn't doing it right. But like the a lot of those games are going to be like print on demand. If you're doing print on demand, like you know your your reach is only is going to be limited. You know, a lot of those games like might not, you know, do a professional video for the game might not have, you know, really professional illustrations. So they're sort of like in this other market that is like sort of like they might, you know one or two might break out one or two might sort of get attention and build an audience and like become something you know bigger than sort of like friends and family and adjacent right but like but for the most part like you sort of hit this delineation of people who are like per- approaching it as like a business versus people who are approaching it as a hobby. Um, the second point is um, there's a lot of competition on board games that are being published. But, like, the hobby in terms of, like, the consumer base has so much room to grow. Like, you know, a game to be, like, a smash, smash, smash hit. Like, a one game a year comes out that sells a million copies, right? Like, you know, a cu- handful that sell a couple hundred thousand. Like, the, there's so many people who would love board games who, like, aren't in the hobby yet, right? Like Mm. over 10% of our Kickstarter backers had never backed the Kickstarter before, right? Like that's not a crazy number, but that means like we brought 10% 10 of our backers, right? We brought 120 people into this ecosystem who had never been a part of this ecosystem before. And I think that, you know, when you're on board game design forums, you know, you can sometimes see people thinking about it as like this zero sum game and they're competing with like all these, we're competing with like the other five train games that came out this month. And like, to an extent, like, sure you are, but like, there's still so much pie that's out there. And like, it's like, we're focused on like how big your piece of the pie is when like, there's an entire like dessert buffet around (laughs) you. Right. Like
2: (laughs) Why are you you arguing over the pie when there's, you know, an ice cream boat floating down uh, over there.
3: (laughs) And like, and that's what sigil part of our big, marketing push with it is like, I I don't consider magic card players to be like traditional board game hobbyist players, right? Because Mm -hmm. some are, but a lot of magic card players like play play board games rarely or even never. Um, And you also have sort of like these sort of worlds of like, you know, there's a lot of chess players who only play chess, Mm -hmm. right? And there's a lot of magic card players who only play magic cards. Um, Sigil, a lot of our marketing push is sort of tapping into these um, nascent audiences, nascent in terms of board game interest, right? Not in terms of like, they're in a developed market, but in terms of tapping into these sort of like audiences who love abstract, uh, love dueling games, love like that one-on-one, like, and also like, not like, you know, there's all sorts of different types of dueling games now, like not like, we're not talking about like first person shooter, we're talking about like the sort of analog, like, dueling games and trying to sort of like, we're not, we're not going after like the people who are playing the train games, you know, some of those people will love sigil and will come on naturally, but like, we are targeting an audience that is like more defined and also like much, much, much larger. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and so our marketing strategy for sigil is actually, we're going to have this completely free, free, completely free to play digital version and our hope is that enough people will fall in love with the game on that digital platform that when we come out with like the physical analog version they'll want to throw us some money to have a physical copy of the game that they can play with difference right so like that's our marketing strategy for Sigil. Mm-hmm. so like our two marketing strategy is going to be like the Twitch streamers right it's going to be the go YouTuber players it's going to be the magic card players who like you know it's going to be like these audiences that aren't traditional board game audiences like there's very few twitch channels there's some twitch channels of people who play board games on twitch but like it's like you know 17 viewers is like a ridiculous crowd right, right. if you look at like a big magic card streamer like you look at thousands of people who are watching the stream and for us and for me like i think that that is such a huge opportunity of people who would like love 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 this game that like i just want to like show it to them and be like just try it right like if you like we're not you don't have to pay us anything right like we're we're putting in all we're putting in all the work we're making this digital platform we're doing all of this stuff like just like just give it a try and i know that that's like sort of anyone who has a digital game says that right like mm-hmm. everything's free now um but i think it's like a unique enough proposition and like an interesting enough game that like once people start playing it if they have if you have that sort of mind where like you like one-on-one you know locking eyes and like outsmarting your opponent and like being clever and like thinking spatially and if you like that there's a reasonable chance that this will be the, your favorite game that you've ever played mm-hmm. right and so like we just need to figure out how to get to that critical mass where we can hit that tipping point where instead of us going out and saying hey try this it's the people who have already tried it who are going out to their friends and saying yeah. hey try this, try this. yeah, yeah. I, I
2: remember sense. i remember being at a gp and i was just like sitting there like in between matches whatever not doing anything and ruben bresler uh, if people remember uh, that magic personality, was just coming down the the hallway, and he just looks at me and just goes, "Hey, are you doing anything right now?" I'm like, "No." He goes, "Here, I want to teach you this game that I just learned." And he <laughs> took out he took out this game called Code Names. Oh, I love bag, that game! Which is a super fun game to play. And he just sat down. and He's like, "Here, let's. I'm going to teach you how to play, and let's play this game." And it's like, I feel that's like the fan you're looking for where they're like, they're so excited about playing this game that they just want to teach anyone that they can corner how to play just so they'll have another person to play with. (laughs)
3: And Codenames is a great example. Like so many people have come to board gaming through a game like Codenames, right? Like Codenames is one of these games that like, instead of like,
2: you know, I don't know how what the designer thought of it when they made it but it's it's a very non-traditional game like i don't think i like at that point in my life i don't think i'd ever played a game like that that it's just like there's no actual board it's just a bunch of you know pieces of paper (sighs) that we lay down onto the ground and we pick the papers up and put them back down and you know it's 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 not what you would think of as a traditional board game Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i I interrupted you as far as i think
3: i think that that's an awesome example though because i think that that is an example of like The games that are the most successful are the games that break out of this, like fighting over the same pie, right? Mm -hmm. And it might not be, have been like the designers intention when they designed it, because I think when you design a game, you just want to design something that like, is really resonant and really amazing. But if you manage to do that, and if you get people who like really connect with it and identify with it and like love it and champion it, then it can go bigger than the board game hobby and you can do that because the board game hobby is like all things considered like pretty small you know like yeah. in terms of like so like you know like that's why that's why like these big games are often called like gateway games right because they're the gateway to the hobby or alternatively they're sort of like the games that transcended the niche hobby and became sort of like staples that non-board gamers play and recognize and love right Mm -hmm. so you have you know ticket to ride wingspan code names werewolf right you have like these games that like are bigger than like than the hobby and bring people into the hobby and also reach outside of the hobby yeah
2: it's true and it's funny that you see these like uh stimulus in in pop culture too like just like how stranger things gave a huge boost to uh you game know Dungeons game, yeah. and Dragons. I feel like uh Settlers of Catan. At least that for me is what kind of kicked off the the revolution. I feel like, like I just remember, no one really played board games, and then Settlers of Catan came out, and then it's like people I would never to have expected to play board games. It's like, oh, you want to play some Settlers of
4: Catan? Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> and there are people who like play Settlers every week, and that's the only board game that they play. Yeah, and, like that's amazing. Um, like, like that, it's amazing right like that yeah the, it's it was, like, when the, it like
2: when like the 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 dude who like go usually go after school goes and like plays basketball and is on like the sports team and like you know wouldn't be caught dead in a game in a game store when that person is like excited to play a board game like that's that's when you know you you've really hit something yeah
3: <laughs> yeah and i do think and i think it's one of those things where it's like the there's not like i feel like i feel like our our culture you know has like transcended like the sort of like nerd in as a negative
2: connotation. Yeah. Right? yeah like we we sort of transcended. The nerds that. the nerds have won. The nerds have yeah. won. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, thanks, Victory thanks. through assimilation. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, new girl.
3: Right. Yeah. Like <laughs> right. <laughs> um And and so like and so we sort of transcended that. But like it still is like it like board games, there's a lot of different types of board games, right? And there's a lot of different sort of types of like parts of your brain that you might need to use to play a different game and there's games that are just raucous social fun right and like those are one genre of board games and there's board games that are like very thinking and crunchy like um, uh,
2: car- cards against humanity is, exactly it's like what
3: like social fun yeah
2: exactly cards against humanity
3: is a very example. um and like it, the thing is though like board games are like this specific sort of like social interaction structure that is often like that often like when you get away from the party games right that you're often asking people to like choose to do a hobby where this activity is about using your mind and thinking right and like there are a lot of people who love that right like crossword puzzles people who play games right but like it's also you know there's a lot of people who do who, to who don't but I think that like the hobby is sort of growing and I think that's like really sort of like encouraging and uplifting that like more people want to like, you know, do puzzles together with their friends kind of, you know, as like a fun thing. I,
2: I almost think of it as like a counterweight to our society in that it feels like our social interactions are getting dumber and dumber. And so an outlet we look for is for our <laughs> like our hobby social interactions to become like more and more cerebral because we're just not getting that in like <laughs> the other aspect of our life. <laughs> yeah yeah
3: it's it's cool though. and magic cards is you know like think about it, like I don't know like tens of millions of people probably play magic cards. and you know like I think I saw a quote like 20 million people globally like play magic cards. I don't know like how frequently, but like that's kind of wild, right mm-hmm. that there's like, we're we're all sitting down to get like sitting down together and we're like we're the rules up the take for magic card and this is what's wild especially for ma- magic what's astounding about magic card success um magic cards is the antithesis of like easy to learn <laughs> yeah it right? is super like, hard to learn <laughs> it is so hard to learn but it's just still so resonant and so much fun and like the type of thinking that it has is so cool and what it also has going for it, which I think is very hard to do in a game. And there's very few that, that have this is like, is that you can play it how you want to play it and still have fun, right? You can explore self-expression through the actual game. That's like super, super rare and super, super hard to have in a game. Um, and magic cards achieve that. Um, but like, even with like this, you know, it takes, you have to commit like a couple, you have to commit a dozen hours to get like okay at magic cards right but even with that like it's so cool that like it's massive um so yeah so i think i think it is it's it's interesting because like it really is like it's i don't know i don't know how you can put your finger on on like why right or like what will make something be like the next big thing other than just like some number of people said like this is my favorite game ever And then those people told their friends about it. And then some number of their friends agreed.
2: Yeah. Mm. And it's true because if you can get a friend group into a game, like you can be hooked for life. Like (laughs) I, like I have groups of friends where it's like, we play the same game over and over and over again. And now it's just become, it's like, it's the tradition. Like when that group of friends get together, like that's the game that we play. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What game? Oh I I mean this isn't a board game but I feel one of the biggest ones for me personally is uh like League of Legends. Okay. Like I hate I hate League of Legends. I hate that game so much. But I play that game at least once a week because it's the game all my college friends play. And even though we all hate it equally together, we all play it because it's our excuse to hang out with each other. And like I have other groups of friends where it's like Catan is that game. Like playing yep. Catan is our our excuse to get together. Uh the other one uh is uh uh hill house uh which Haunting is like of a, hill house. yeah yeah hunting of hill house that's another fun game that i get together with some friends with to play so like it, it's almost like the game is the excuse to be the hangout session
4: mm. <laughs> yeah makes sense
0: nice uh, yeah. um i so i was actually looking at your kickstarter page after i love the artwork for the game man it's really cool yeah right um it's so cool that was um Okay, if
3: I get the illustrator for it um, his name is Stephen Nichol mm-hmm. um, was a process um, I actually found him um, through uh, some original magic gathering art community um, so his manager um, is involved in some original magic gathering art community stuff um, and I met him through through that sort of network um, but we did a I did a huge search on finding like the perfect illustrator for the game because um, for anyone who hasn't checked out Nut Hunt yet, um, you should check it out and look at it. The artwork, the illustration is is it's, pretty phenomenal. Yeah, it's, go- awesome. it's gorgeous art. Um, and sort of the, the ask for it, what I had in my mind is I didn't want like a fantasy world. Like I didn't want like windows in mushrooms kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I wanted this sort of like larger than life mystical feel mm-hmm. while retaining realism. Um, and finding that was like really hard. Um, and so, and was also you know a lot of illustrators. I looked at hundreds of illustrators. Their portfolios, like they don't they put a ton of characters in their portfolios, but they don't like put a lot of landscapes, right? Like they don't show off range because like also people aren't really commissioning a lot of landscapes in illustration. Like it's a little bit rare. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I I was going through his portfolio and I just sort of clicking through and I was like he's an incredible illustrator, but like I don't know about I haven't seen any landscapes. And they come to this 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 digital painting um, of a goblin hiking, Mm -hmm. and the goblin is hiking, and the goblin is like you know, one tenth of the frame, and it's just like this whimsical magical world that is still like retains realism, Mm -hmm. and I was immediately like, this is this is the perfect feel for what we want the game to be. And so, you know, reached out to Steve, reached out to a couple other illustrators. um, And we ended up going with Steve um, just because, you know, we love his work. Um, And I think it was a great call. Um, And this also goes back to, like, sort of one of the ideas I touched on earlier is, like, our philosophy as a company is that, like, we want to, we're buying optionality for Mm -hmm. our games. We want to give our games that chance that, that they will connect and resonate and be sort of larger than life. And I think that that's really hard to do without really, really incredible sort of like visuals and graphic identification. Um, and so, yeah, Steve is like, yeah, Steve was perfect for the job. Um, he's also doing the illustration for a sigil. And um, we had such a good experience working with him that we sort of brought him back for, for our next game. Um, although the illustration for that is a lot, simpler it's very different it's like runes um for he's building like a whole rune runic language for mm-hmm. for, for sigil um but yeah he yeah i'm very happy with the illustration um i think it, i couldn't
0: imagine i couldn't imagine anyone else having done it yeah yeah that's awesome yeah i really i really like the art uh, that i saw on the kickstarter you side. guys should
3: put you guys should put the illustration on your next like art critique uh, oh,
0: so that, just oh, like a yeah. randomly
3: throw in like a nut hunt. Um, one of the, Yeah, we the should throw some
2: some nut hunt art in for uh, like the next art critique. That's a good idea.
0: <laughs> so if someone wanted to, I know you said you're, you know, the Kickstarter has, has closed, but is there a way if someone wants, like, because this is a game I can imagine my kids really like. So we just, yeah. my, my kids love to play games. We actually just. Uh, the last time, actually, when we were at that Legacy Open Jerry at and yeah, MD, Pat,
2: Pat was walking away with a hand like an armload yeah. of games to bring.
0: Yeah, I, I picked up, a, I picked up, um, I picked up Java's Palace, which is like a love letter, um, uh, version of the game. Pat, then- for for
2: listeners who don't understand, it's a really weird sentence when you say, "Yeah, Jabba's palace." You know the big, fat, disgusting slug. Yeah, it's a love letter.
0: <laughs> well, no, <Love> no. Let- <laughs> so it's it's it, love letter is like another. It's like, it's a game. like I know. Okay, okay, I know. Yeah, so it's like a it's a it's a tweaked version of love letter uh, in the Star Wars universe, and it's wicked fun. We played it. We played a bunch of games in, in uh, Vermont this past weekend, and uh, I picked up Skull as well. And I haven't played Skull, but I've been told it's a very good game. So I, I love to play games with my kids. They they really enjoy it. So if someone wanted to like uh, get a copy of this, like where would they be able to find it? You know, when it comes when it gets released at least.
3: Yeah. So um, what I'll do actually is uh, when this goes live in in the LAL group, I'll just throw a, we're going to have like a a pre-order window open um, in August. Um, So, so people will be able to like put pre-orders in in August. Um, And then otherwise it'll sort of be like, um, I should probably actually put together a, yeah, I'll do this before the episode goes live. um, I'll have a, a, a a little uh i'll put together a listserv um not an actual listserv but like a a a forum where people can drop their emails to get notified cool of both the um late pledge window um which will be in august Mm -hmm. and then um when the game becomes available for actual sale um i'll put that together and i'll throw that uh up in the lal group um because like it's a number of people have reached out to me I'm asking about sort of the late pledge window. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we will have one. Um and it'll probably be uh in August is sort of my my best guess of when we're gonna open that up um to late pledges. Awesome. I know great. yeah, I
2: definitely want to grab a copy too. I'm bummed I missed the Kickstarter.
3: Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally fine. It's totally fine. Um it's one of those things where like I uh with the with the leaving legacy group, like I, I threw it in there um because I wanted to tell people about it and make sure people saw about it. Um and, like, I think that a lot of... You know, I play a lot of Magic, and I, I absolutely love the game, and a number of, you know, other people who play a lot of Magic really do. But, like, I think for Magic players, I think that, like... I, definitely check out Nuhan. I'm not saying don't check out our game, don't buy our game. because mm-hmm. like, you'll love it. But uh, <laughs> but I think that Sigil uh, is is more likely to resonate with the average Magic player. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Whereas hunt will resonate with some Magic players really well but I think the average magic player is more likely to resonate with Sigil um, uh, than not. So, and also for Sigil, so we're building the on, we have a playable version digitally right now. Um, And we're doing some more stuff with like the user interface and building out the ladder and things like that. But we're going to be looking for alpha testers um, for the Sigil digital platform. Mm -hmm. Um, So I will also throw in, Um, when the episode goes live, I'll also throw in, like, a sign-up form if people want to be alpha testers for Sigil Online. um, You can get involved on, like, the ground floor of this game um, that I think is going to be really awesome. Sweet. Hell yeah. (laughs) Hell yeah.
2: Hell yeah, (laughs) bro.
3: I mean, and also uh, our our illustrator, he streams his process, Um, so I've been watching, like, a He's working on the runes right now and mm-hmm. they're they're badass like um <laughs> i was joking with him when we were like getting it done i was like yeah i want these to be the type of thing where like someone will shoot me an email and be like hey can i like get the, these tattooed and he was like jasper like no one's gonna email you they're just gonna do it and then, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know like they're not gonna ask permission i was like all right like that's fine i don't care um like <laughs> Like, if they love it enough to do that, then like, then like, um, then go for it.
2: I mean, that's a pretty big honor to you know design something that's so important to someone that they want to permanently inscribe it onto their body. <laughs> I mean, that's my hope, dude. Right. I mean, like, I
4: have
3: a yeah. magic card tattoo. Um, right. Like, I,
2: I know a lot of people with magic card tattoos, but so yeah, I mean, it's totally, totally realistic for that to happen. I mean, people get people get passionate about this sort of stuff.
3: Yeah. Mine is, um, Mine's that one with the, just the two eyes in the in the darkness, right? Like what's the mm. next no, thing? Um <laughs> mine, uh, my, mine's elves of elves of Deep Shadow, the Jet the Death Premiere Force version. Yeah. Um yeah. Um, which I think is badass. Um yeah, no, I it's like, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I mean, who knows? Like, I, I feel like um it's it's hard like talking about talking about like sort of what like my vision is for these games because like i don't want to come off as like um i don't like like i don't know what the right word is but like you know because like there's a whole range of outcomes of what of what it could be but like i really do think that there's like a reasonable outcome like a reasonably likely outcome that like this game is huge right like i don't know how big that percentage it's not saying it's like the most likely outcome but i think Mm -hmm. like that it has enough really good really interesting really unique and really like exciting things going for it um that there's like a an outcome that's not like unreasonable but like it's just like everyone knows what sigil is right Mm -hmm. or like everyone knows what not is that's just like that these are like ubiquitous sort of household sort of like Mm -hmm. genre defining games Mm -hmm. um and like again like sigil i didn't design sigil right like i looked at 150 games that got submitted to us, right? Like I looked at all of these games trying to find like a game that like would work in our catalog Mm -hmm. and like Sigil isn't even sort of like in the wheelhouse of what, like my original plan was like, we're going to do sort of two to four player, half an hour long games. Like we want it to sort of be, uh, because there's a lot of benefits to marketing to a same audience, right? Because you have your audience and they get your first game and they really like it. And then some portion of those people will want your next game and having that base of people who want your next game is a really good way to build momentum for that second game. Right. And so there's, there's some real strength when you're building a business like this, of having sort of like a similar um, market segment that you're targeting, a similar sort of like genre of game
4: mm-hmm.
3: and Sigil isn't the same genre as not. And we looked at a ton of games and like it, it's couldn't it's like I couldn't pass it off you Mm -hmm. know like we needed we needed this game so like the world needs this game um is sort of how I actually honestly feel about it um and so like I'm really excited um I'm really really like and it's probably going to kickstart in like February is sort of like our soft our soft target date a lot has to like happen before then things have to be the stars have to align um before we do that because we're not going to do too early Um, that's sort of my hope And my hope is that, like, just all fall and winter, it's like we're playing Sigil online and like grinding up the ladder and like Mm -hmm. just people are getting excited (laughs) about it.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. I'm excited to see what it does for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Well,
0: and you can be involved on the ground floor, get in,
3: get in, get in in Sigil online. You can be like, I love it. You can learn all the, all the sweet tactics.
2: It's, fun. it's funny too, that you're like right out of the gate, starting with a, a digital version of the game. Like I feel going digital is like a whole nother level. Cause now you need like software developers. And- we got,
3: oh my God. So um, the designer, Andy, um, he's a developer at Google. Right. And, yeah, you know, yeah, you said that, he's, yeah. and so like, you know, in the contract, it's like, if we monetize a digital version, he gets, you know, uh, the thirty percent is how it's in the contract, but you know he he is. But we're not monetizing it. We're, that's not our plan, right? Our plan is completely free. People will fall in love with it and then want the analog game. Um, and so he is incentivized. Like he does get a percentage of our revenue off the base game, um, but also like it's a passion project for him. Like he has been working on this game for fifteen years, and he wants it to be out in the world. Mm-hmm. And so he is putting in huge amounts of time to make this game amazing and to create the digital backend. Now, some of his expertise isn't in, um, he doesn't, front end, front end implementation isn't his expertise. So we decided that, if, so front end is everything from like the user interface to like the animations, to like making sure that if you resize your browser, things are in the right place, mm-hmm. right? Like that's all front end. So we needed a front end dev. So I put up, I write a blog twice a week. Um, I put up on the blog that we're looking for a front end dev, this is what the project is, blah, blah. blah a couple of people, you know, reached out to me. Um, one of them is this is this gentleman, Matt, who lives in Australia. Um, wow. I, you know, sent Matt's information along to Andy. Andy gets back to me. He's like, this is one of, like, the top five people in the world at what he does.
4: Wow. I'm like, wow. <laughs>
3: uh, but, uh, okay. Um, all right. Uh, so we do a call with Matt, uh, explain sort of the project to him. And, you know, as I've been talking about, was sort of like the philosophy around the game? Like, I want the best people involved. Um, so I'm like with Matt, like, you know, we're a board game company, like we're not made out of money, but like, we really want you on board and like, whatever sort of number you give me, if it's not like egregious, um, like, you know, we'd love to, sort of, we'll, we'll do our best to make it work. So I'm, I can't say the actual number they gave us on the podcast, but like, it's probably like a fifth of what he should be charging us. And he's charging us a little because like, he's been following the story of the company he's been reading my blog that I put out every other week. He is a backer of nut hunt and loves the game. And he wants to be involved in one of our projects. And he doesn't want to like, not be respected as a professional and not charge anything, but like, he doesn't, he he wants to be involved in it. And that's, you know, and like, so he's, he's just essentially like helping out. Right. Like, which is like mind blowing. So we have like, This person is like incredible at what he's doing, who just like, because, you know, I write the blog and I'm out there in these communities and I'm engaged, like he just wants to be a part of the project. Um, And so it's hard, like, you know, it's two guys who are doing it in their spare time, right? Like, it's not like they're working as a full-time dev at Pine Island. So it's not Mm -hmm. like it's going to be like a crazy digital platform or anything, right? It's going to be functional and look pretty good right? Like that's sort mm-hmm. of the goal. It's not going to be like over the top in really any way. Um, but yeah, we have like these two incredibly smart, incredibly talented people, one of whom designed the game and so wanted to do it. And the other one who like is, is a supporter and a fan of the company and wanted to be involved in one of our projects.
0: That's awesome.
3: Yeah.
2: That is, that's, that's always a huge advantage when someone just is interested for the sake of doing it. Yeah. That's great
3: so i'm really excited uh like it's it's also like yeah i'm really excited and like again like it's two people who are working on it in their spare time so it's not going to be like crazy but like they're very talented people um and like it'll be functional and the gameplay like the gameplay is what's so amazing about this it's not like flashy animations that Mm -hmm. makes this game amazing what makes it amazing is that like you like the type of puzzle that it is and this sort of like one-on-one sort of like battle and then like the really cool spatial reasoning where you're not only sort of battling over this like board that is a set design but then you have like these effects that are these spells that you can activate and so you're like thinking through how to position yourself to be able to cast the spells you need to cast while your opponent is trying to (laughs) control these spells it's it's really it's really good um, and oh, so it's, awesome. it's going to, the goal is to like preserve the gameplay in the digital platform and also like smooth, easily, commu- the, the challenge though, the challenge of it is like easily communicating like what is going on in game yep. is like a relatively large hurdle because when you're sitting down with someone and you take a stone out of a bag and you place it on a board, that's very obvious, mm-hmm. right? Like, and that sort of like takes time and you can rock it and understand it and sort of preserving the sort of like flow state of the gameplay um where everyone's on the same page is sort of like that that sort of like front end work that we're really trying to like get perfect right now
4: mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. nice cool awesome yeah well uh anything else uh you wanted to talk about the game or game design in general before we kind of start wrapping it up um you know
3: i um i mean there's not I mean, like look at like this is obviously like a a journey for me like another like, like this is the goal is that this is like my career for the rest of my life right that like I can turn this into making a living um, but game design in a pure sense as like a hobby um, which is what I did for years before I created Hunt and Hunt really resonated like Hunt isn't the first game that I like put pen to paper of it's not the first mm-hmm. game that I designed um, is also very rewarding and it's There's a ton of awesome communities out there and resources out there um, to sort of like design games and play games and meet other people who are passionate about this sort of activity of designing games. Um, And if it's something that you sort of toy around with or you think about, like, definitely check it out. Definitely go Mm -hmm. for it. Um, You know, reach out to me. I'll throw you on all the forums, tell you where to go to like read up on it. And like a lot of it, like so many of these things in life, like... The most important step is like getting it down on paper, right? Is like is it starting, is is it actually starting. Because like a lot of times, like you know, I'm sure you guys, like so many people, like you have an idea for a game, and it's like in your head. The most important step is getting that idea to the table, mm-hmm. right? Like and just getting <laughs> it out of your head and sitting down and grabbing some like meeples from like Catan or whatever game like some wooden bits and some dice and like actually starting to play that step if you can get yourself to that step Mm. um then like you can figure the rest out and it's a lot of fun and I encourage you to sort of pursue it and if you make something that is fucking amazing um then talk to me and (laughs) maybe we'll be able to, (laughs) to to bring it to market um and get it out into the world that is awesome I love it
2: hell yeah awesome well uh should we start to wrap it up pat uh
0: yeah um jasper if if they want to you know kind of follow your your journey as a as a game developer and designer and and publisher where where can they find you yeah
3: um so i write uh, i have our website pine island games uh pine island games um i have a blog there i write it twice a week um you can follow along there there is a a button just to put your email to get the blog posts or you can sign up to our newsletter um, which is monthly Um, that's sort of the best way to follow along with me Uh, you can also follow along nut hunt has a facebook group Um, it's groups slash nut hunt and really anywhere if you just google pine island games Mm -hmm. um, we should we should pop up Um, but yeah that's that's the best way to follow around i'm also i'm active on tiktok Um, i'm active on facebook not as active uh, on like instagram or some of the other other platforms as i'd like to be but you know one man show over here trying to run the social media so you have to <laughs> pick and choose
0: where you're yes, where you're putting absolutely. your time absolutely awesome all right well thank thanks so much for coming on this week man it was great to talk to you this was awesome thank you guys this is really this was a lot of fun How we made it happen hell absolutely. yeah um jerry you want to do scoops some poops the scoops who do you want to scoop in the top eight this week jerry
2: uh for scooping in the top eight uh yeah i don't think i actually have anything this week
0: pat all right uh how about you jasper you want to scoop anyone in the top eight this week
3: yeah um oh man there's so many people who are like on my mind who
0: have sort of helped us (laughs) out through
3: through all of this process um you know i'm going to scoop you guys in uh i'm going to scoop you guys in it's it's really cool um when you have sort of like i know that like sort of the legacy magic is like really niched down um but it's really cool like thinking back that like i was on this like three years ago for like another sort of like endeavor um and you know listening to the cast and the fan of this you know even before that and it's so cool that like i mean it must how many years has it been now that you guys have been doing this
0: mm, uh eight eight, 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 eight years, years. Eight, eight and a half yeah
3: for yeah. almost a decade <laughs> for almost a decade you guys have been sitting down pretty much every week to like talk about this thing and like build community and like engage with people and that is awesome um and so i'm gonna i'm gonna scoop in i'm sure no one has scooped you guys in before but i'm gonna scoop in uh jerry may and uh pat <laughs> you and, uh, for the first time ever
0: on the cast uh, oh, finally no. in top aj how's it feel
2: it's, it's pretty great. Pretty great.
0: <laughs> um, I'm going to scoop in the state of Vermont. Uh, the kids and I, the wife and some of, uh, and our, our, uh, my brother, his wife and their kids, we went up to this, uh, unbelievable cabin that, uh, her friend owns. And, uh, it's on like 10 acres on the, in the, in the mountains in in Rochester, Vermont. We had just, uh, like, a like this crazy, like dreamlike weekend. It was unbelievable. It was just beautiful weather, like just great nights, like you know fires out like overlooking the mountains and uh it was just it was unreal it was so much fun so shout out to the state of vermont it was a great time hell yeah <laughs> and did not did not get pulled over by the notorious vermont state troopers on the highway so that was good too
2: Did you, are did they you bring me...
0: what's that well are, they, su- are, they, are they super troopers Yeah, for sure like for sure that like on the highway they are they are big on highway patrol that's for sure they like any any speeding. They they, and they were they were out there, but not for me. So that's good. I take that.
2: Uh, Pat, did you bring me back uh, some Hetty Topper?
0: Uh, I don't know what that is. What is that? Is that a marijuana yeah. thing?
2: No, <laughs> it's a delicious beer that people will, uh, you know murder people over just to get their hands on.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. My it's... brother actually might have had a bunch of that. I'm not sure though. It sounds familiar. Murder? I'm not a beer guy, so not my thing
2: <laughs> your brother murders people for beer? no 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 I had
0: a bunch of those those that beer I guess because that sounds familiar but maybe I I could be misremembering the weekend but I see but... I just suck to high noons you know there you go <laughs> all right well, awesome. high noons
2: we'll... and white claws
0: yeah <laughs> do you guys still do poops is it poop style? Uh,
2: oh we, we do should... yeah we, we can do some yeah, we you got we some, some squeeze them one in sure
1: uh, I'm, how, about, how about the the price of gas these
3: days? How, how's that for, for an yeah. old man? <laughs> yeah. That's a,
1: that's a pretty big poop.
3: <laughs> Great. Only mowing my lawn every other week with these what? gas prices.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I just mow my lawn with a pair of scissors these days. It's I, don't a, I don't
3: have a lawn. I don't have
2: a lawn. Oh, man awesome well awesome. i think that wraps it up thanks so Sweet. much jasper for coming you know it's been too long since we caught up with you so definitely got to get you on again some uh soon you know let us know when sigil's ready and uh you know we can't wait to play it
0: yeah awesome That's Thanks, awesome. You guys so much absolutely all right well thanks everyone for hanging out we'll catch you all next week
4: bye <laughs> I remember playing back in '94 when three men never got me a four-four. I remember playing back in '94 before storm, before the grizzle brands and Neo. I remember playing back in 95 Battling the ivory tower with my black eyes. I remember playing back in 95 When the only force of will was the one we had inside You say we've come So far, I say, where we going? So many planes, walkers, the stained glass ceilings broken. Gold-plated diamond cards, still our wallets open. Take me back to 94. I remember playing in March of 96. Trading Bad Moon and Green Ward for Chromium I remember playing in March of 96 When my local game store still sold packs of legends they were only $10 a pack back
1: then, which seemed like an awful lot to me at a time, because I was a kid and I didn't make any money. So I had to beg my mom to buy me one, and finally she did. And I was really hoping that I would open an Elder Dragon Legend, but instead I opened a Tempest of Freet. But I learned to love that Tempest of Freet, and I put that Tempest of Freet into every single deck that I made, but I was too scared to use its ability, because I couldn't bear the thought of losing my, my
4: Tempest of Freet.
1: That's what it meant to play Magic back then. We had a real emotional connection to the cards. Not like these kids today with their fancy Twitter accounts and their sideboard guides and their arena tournaments. Back in my day, when we would open a pack of cards, it was magical. We didn't know what we were gonna get. Now it's all ones and zeros. I opened a $5 card. I'll trade you for your $7 card or you're gonna have to give me two extra dollars of value. No. Back in my day when we traded for a card, it was because we liked it. I traded two duel Lance for a minion of Lesherak. Have you seen the picture on that
4: card? You say we've come so far, I still say where we go in. So many planes, walkers, the stained glass ceiling's broken. gold plated diamond cards, still our wallet's open. to ninety-four